Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Is that, yes, we pray for our kids, and yes, we share with our kids, and yes, we bring them to Sunday school, but only God can reach them and only God can save them and transform them. So, so it's much prayer and serious investment and, and a good example and all that we can do and be. And then we have to just trust the Lord to do what's impossible for us. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Baptism of Repentance. We will be taking up in Luke 3, verse 8, as we continue to look at the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. Let's listen in. He goes on in verse 8 to say, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, We, has eight, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Now, God had made a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants. And so it's easy to see how they got mixed up and confused in this area. They thought, hey, God made the covenant with Abraham and his descendants forever. We are his descendants. So the covenant is made with us. Here's the problem. They thought being a mere physical descendant of Abraham should be enough when the reality was God was looking for people who would associate with Abraham spiritually. You see, he walked by faith and in obedience. That was the covenant God made with him. Hey, you continue to walk like this. I'm going to continue to bless you. Now, he made some unconditional promises, yes, but, but it doesn't mean that everyone who was a physical descendant was going to be an heir to those promises. So Abe's true descendants, those who walk by faith and walk in obedience. Jesus actually fleshes this out for us, makes it very simple and very clear. And it's important if we're going to take a message to a world that thinks they're okay when we know they're not and God says they're not, that we get this right. Listen to Jesus' words in John 1, 10. It's one of the saddest, two of the saddest verses in all of scripture. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came unto his own and his own did not receive him. But, and that's the bad news, here's the good news, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood. Now what he does is he gives us four things that people trust in and he says those aren't going to work. To be born of blood speaks of our heredity. It speaks of our, our physical family from which we've descended. And, and he's saying it's not going to be that. Those who he saves are not going to be those born of blood, heredity, nor the will of the flesh. That speaks to man's efforts personally. And all he's saying there is, I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. No, God had to reach down to us. And the reason he reached down to us is there is no way we could bridge the gap that was caused by our sin that separated us from God. I have a grandson. Many of you are aware of that, no doubt, if you've been coming. He's almost two, well, about three months away, but we say almost two. And one of the cutest things I ever saw is he started jumping. And he, you know, I play a lot of basketball and we have something in common. Now, when he jumps, he gets about, oh, I don't know, one inch off the ground. But he doesn't know that. See, we're like jumping. He goes and it's like, 
It's like that. Hardly anything happening. But man, the biggest smile on his face, he doesn't know he isn't jumping 10 feet high. And, and, and my point in sharing that simple illustration is this. Men are thinking, I can jump up to God. It'd be like jumping to the moon. It's not going to happen. And, and whatever effort we're making, it is falling so far short that at best God's saying, oh, look how cute they are. They're trying to jump up to me, you know. I better figure something out, you know. And, and, and the deal is we just cannot do it. So, so it's not of blood, not of our heredity. It's not of the will of the flesh, man's efforts personally, nor the will of man. That's just saying no parent can save their child. No preacher can save anybody. You know that this has to be a supernatural work, a spiritual work. And you know that because, well, those of you who've given your life to the Lord have experienced the new birth. I had an interesting situation with my dad when I was a brand new Christian. Uh, by the way, when I was uh, very young, my dad used to take me to church. I can remember being oh so young. We, he was in the Air Force. We traveled around the, the world, lived in Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. But I remember being in, in churches that were high churches, uh, liturgical churches, you know, the Lutheran Church and some others like that. And, and one of the, the fondest memories I have is like a five-year-old and six-year-old is my dad just singing. He was an Irish tenor and to sing those old hymns, to stand next to him and just hear him pouring out his, his uh, you know, love on the Lord. And I just thought, this is amazing. And then something kind of got weird. My dad continued to take me to church, but he dropped me off. He didn't come anymore. My mom didn't come. And I thought, well, that's a little weird, but at least I was there. And then at 16, well, it got weirder and weirder for me. My parents divorced, 13. I go through uh, the catechism because my mom had remarried. I've shared that with you, became a Catholic for three years. Then I became an absolute pagan for 10 years. Just, you know, stayed away from church, away from anything having to do with church. And, and then I gave my life to the Lord at 27. Well, then I come to my dad and I'm like, dad, you need to be born again. All that, you know, it's cool how you used to take me to church and all that. And, and what was that all about dropping me off stuff? You know, what was going on there? And, but, but it's like, when I begin to tell my dad that, that, you know, taking me to church as a kid or knowing stuff about God is not gonna cut it. Well, as you can imagine, he wasn't really all that excited to hear that from me. And, and, and so he, he kind of got weird for a while, but then he gave his life to the Lord and then he messed with me. And if you know my son, Josh, I just got to tell you, Josh and my dad, very similar. It skipped a generation. Both of them kind of strange. I'm the normal one. And, uh, <laughs> but, but here's the deal. My dad, well, I was telling him, dad, you need to pray. You need to give your life to the Lord. He starts watching Christian TV and he's watching TBN, you know, and, and, you know, not my favorite network, but I'm grateful for it. And, and, and bottom line, he gives his life to the Lord with the Christian TV and, and, and it's Paul and Jan. And, and so then he starts telling me, Paul and Jan saved me. And, and I'm pretty sure he was saying that just to bug me. You know, it's like, and again, if you know Josh, all this will make sense because he's like my dad. And, and he's just sort of like, oh, you think you know everything. You've been a Christian two years. These guys been a Christian all their lives. And, uh, and so he's like, Paul and Jan saved me. I'm like, dad, Paul and Jan didn't save anybody and nobody can save anybody. Only Jesus saves people, you know? And, and so my point in all of this, is that, yes, we pray for our kids and yes, we share with our kids and yes, we bring them to Sunday school, but only God can reach them and only God can save them and transform them. So, so it's much prayer and serious investment and, and a good example and all that we can do and be. And then we have to just trust the Lord to do what's impossible for us. So it's not of blood. It's not of the will of the flesh. It's not, not of the will of man, but 
not of God. Jesus is saying you must be born spiritually. You must be born again. You must be born from above. It is a spiritual reality. And here's what I've noticed over the years. When I meet people and they consider themselves Christians because of their religious upbringing or their spiritual heritage. Well, I'll ask this question. I used to ask people when I was just, you know, conversing with them. You find yourself in line and the line's kind of long so you can strike up a conversation. They're like, hey, so are you a Christian? I found that most people in America will say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And what they mean by that is I'm not Buddhist or I'm not Muslim or I'm not an atheist. So, well, by default, I'm a Christian. And uh, it's sort of like me playing basketball. I I'm too short to be a center. Uh, I I'm too small and weak to be a, a, a forward. Uh, I can't handle the ball, so I can't be a point guard. So I must be a shooting guard because that's, you know, the only thing I know how to do. But but that's them, you see. And, and, and what it is, is they're saying, well, I'm a Christian because I'm not those other things. And, and Jesus, I think he would say, no, I, I don't agree. And, and here's the deal. The, the answer or the question should be, do you know Jesus? Because when you ask that question, well, you're going to get a couple types of answers. By the way, the only right answer is yes or no. In other words, if you ask somebody, do you know Jesus? And they will say, well, I'm a Catholic or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Pentecostal. Or now there's a lot of hybrids. So you got Bapticostals and stuff like that. And, and uh, but, you know, no, I'm a Calvarian or I'm a Calvinist or I'm this or I'm that. The question isn't who are you affiliated with? It's do you know Jesus? And, and if they can't say yes, or if you today can't say yes, I know Jesus. Not, I know a lot about Jesus. See, that's what religion is. It's learning a whole lot about Jesus and maybe some about Buddha or Krishna. People are hedging their bets because they're not really sure who to trust in. When you know Jesus, you know he is the entirety of, of all there is when it comes to salvation and forgiveness and life eternal. It's all about him, who he is, what he's done, and uh, what he does for you, in you, and then ultimately through you. Well, when I meet someone and I ask them if they know Jesus and they answer by saying, well, I was baptized when I was, you know, six days old or six weeks old. And I'm like, and you remember repenting of sin, of course. And and they're like, well, not exactly. Or, or you'll say, well, how long have you been a Christian? When did you become a Christian? I ask you that today. How long have you been a Christian? When did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Because if your answer to that question is I've always been a Christian then you need to rethink it because John is saying in order to be a Christian, you need to repent. Jesus says you need to repent and believe the gospel. John's gospel, you need to repent and believe. You need to repent and receive. You need to repent and be baptized. But again, the outward is always an evidence of something that's already taken place inwardly. So, John is just saying you got to deal with this issue because Jesus will later say you must be born again, born from above, born anew, born of the spirit of God. Well, he says the axe is laid to the root of the trees and every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is a perfect illustration for him saying whatever it is you're rooted in or trusting in, if it isn't Jesus, God goes right to the root and cuts it off. And he does that for a very important reason. Once you're severed from whatever you're trusting in, now you better find something fast and get grafted in or you're just going to shrivel up and die. You're going to realize that, that man, I, I'm not connected to anything that's given me life. 
And so when he goes to the root, it's because he wants us to know life is in him and in him alone. Jesus couldn't be clearer on this issue. He says he's the vine and we're the branches. Apart from him, there'll be no fruit, none at all. The fruit, by the way, he's looking for is described for us in some very practical ways. Now, it started with the multitudes. And then we come to the people and then there's the tax collectors and finally the soldiers. And with each group, he has something to say to us. The people, verse 10, ask him saying, what shall we do then? Their question actually makes my point. They all came to be baptized and their question shows they understood the act of baptism in and of itself would not be sufficient evidence that they'd repented. In other words, for us today, if you say, well, I raised my hand, I prayed a prayer and I got baptized. Therefore, since Christians pray and get baptized, I must be a Christian. But the question is, were you sincere? Were you for real? Did you truly repent? And again, it means to change your mind. If you're in the darkness, you got to come into the light. If you're being deceived, you need to come to the truth. If you're dead in trespasses and sin, you need the life that can only be found in him. And so, so uh, they're coming and saying, what shall we do? We know that this isn't going to be enough. And, uh, and what needed to happen was there needed to be a change. And, and he describes that change in very practical ways, as you would expect. He answered and says to them in verse 11, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. It's interesting. If you read Greek mythology, when, when somebody wants to please God or the gods, right? I mean, they had to go get the golden fleece or they had to go do this. It was always these big, grandiose adventures. He says, here's what I want for you to prove that you're for real. If you got extra clothes, give them to someone who doesn't have clothes. If you have extra food and that means you have more than you can eat, or more than you need to eat, then give some to someone who doesn't have food. It's two things almost anyone could do because, well, everyone or most of us have some clothing and, and some food and, and those are basic necessities. He's saying, in essence, this, we can prove that we're for real by, by not only repenting and, and confessing that we've repented, not only being baptized as a testimony we've repented, but, but it's a call to love. And it's a call to love people practically by meeting their basic needs. You're aware, no doubt, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second Jesus says is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is that loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, if, if you were cold, you'd put on some clothes. If, if, if you were hungry, you would make sure you ate. And he's saying, make sure that, that no one around you is cold or without clothing. Make sure no one around you is hungry and without food. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love and love always manifests itself in practical, demonstrable, observable ways. So the people said, what shall we do? He says, love people practically. Prove your love to God by loving the people created by God. And then the tax collectors also came, verse 12, to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. The tax collectors, these guys had very few friends. And it's interesting because Jesus 
befriends them. One of the accusations by the religious leaders is he hung out, ate with tax collectors and sinners. And I've shared with you in the past, if Jesus, Jesus wasn't willing to eat with sinners, he would have had to eat alone because all of sin had come short of the glory of God. But the spiritual guys are saying, look at the people he hangs out with. It was one of their great charges against him. But the tax collectors, they were hated by their people because they were working for Rome. They were despised by Rome because they were basically traitors to their people, but they were necessary to the process. It was hard for Rome to collect taxes from the Jews, so they appointed Jews to do the work. Rome wasn't exactly no, uh, you know, uh, famous for being generous to their employees. And so uh, these guys would basically make a living by adding to, taking more than they were supposed to take. That made them even more hated by their people and more despised by the Romans. And so the tax collectors are coming to John and they're saying, what do we need to do to prove we're really repentant? And John just says, well, collect no more than is appointed for you. Now, since few, if any of us are tax collectors and those who are don't want anyone to know, let's say how we apply this to ourselves. This is a call to complete honesty. By the way, the answer to the question, and it has been posed, when is a thief no longer a thief? Some would say, well, when he stops stealing. I think God would say when he starts being generous, when he starts giving, when he starts caring for others. Because see, at the heart of a thief is covetousness, the desire to amass more, to stock it up, to, to stockpile it. And so the issue is, well, to be honest means that, that people can trust us. They can trust us with what's ours and they can trust us with what's theirs. Ephesians 4.28 deals with this issue. It says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. In other words, when God calls us to honesty, he's saying, well, here's how you do it. You work, you provide for yourself, you provide for your family, you make sure you work and have enough to provide for those who are needy. So, so in order to do all that, you have to become a more generous person. And of course, if we're going to represent the one who is ultimately generous, who gives to the ungrateful and the grateful, who showers his rain on the just and the unjust, well, we're going to need to become people who love practically and are honest men and women of integrity. And then the third area is a call to humility. The soldiers asked him, verse 14, saying, what shall we do? Now, soldiers are people with power and authority. The very armor and the guns and the, you know, the things that they wear causes them to be intimidating. And because that's sort of built into being a soldier, he says, don't intimidate anyone. Well, how does a soldier who's armored up and got his weapons not intimidate? He's going to have to be humble. He's going to have to be meek. There's going to have to be something about his demeanor and his interaction that, that, that doesn't press and doesn't push. And by the way, you'll notice with our Lord, who has all power, according to his own testimony, that, that he was meek and humble of heart, that he never coerced anyone or manipulated anyone or threatened anyone. It, he, he, well, he did say repent or perish, but that's not a threat. He's saying repent or, hey, that's the, where it's all headed already. 
So he says, don't intimidate anyone, nor accuse falsely. And of all the sins that God says he hates, and there are lots, of course, God hates all sin. But he says again and again, he hates the one who's a liar or an accuser. Or, or why? Because that's the work of the enemy, to slander, to accuse, to, to tear down. So he says, no intimidation, no accusation. And then he says, be content with your wages. I'm thinking that's something the Lord could be saying to some of us. You know, it's, it's like things cost more than they used to. We're not all making more than we used to. And, and, and so he's telling them and he'd be saying to us, love people practically. Be honest, people of integrity. Make sure that you're, you're, you're walking meekly and humbly. That's Christ likeness. And, and in the midst of that, well, these will be evidences of your repentance. Now, just a couple thoughts and we conclude with them. As far as the need for repentance, Jesus will say in Luke 5, 32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It actually has two meanings. To those he was dealing with, the religious leaders who thought they were righteous, he's basically saying, if you think you're there, I'm not here to call you. I'm going to call you guys who know you need Savior. You know you need forgiveness. You know you need hope. But the reality is, beyond that, if he says he's not coming to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, that means he's come to call everyone because there are none righteous. No, not one. It's just harder to get through to the person who thinks they're already there. It's much harder to reach a religious person for Christ than, than a person who says they're an atheist because it isn't about arguing creation or arguing evolution or arguing all those things. It's just saying, listen, if I'm wrong, then then. Well, I, I die and cease to exist. If you're wrong, you go into an eternity in a place that God created for Satan and the fallen angels. I mean, you end up in hell. And, and it's like you're betting your life that I'm wrong and I'm betting on Jesus. And, and, and it's a huge difference. But in any case, he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That means today in a practical way, if you think you're fine without Jesus, you're not going to respond to the call to repent. You're not going to receive him as Lord and Savior. You're going to say, no, you know what? I've always been a Christian or I'll trust in my goodness or I'll stand on my efforts or, or, or I'm not as bad as some people. And all that may be true except for this. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And so I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. As far as the scope of salvation, repentance and remission of sins. There are our words. And this is out of Luke 24. When you get to the end of the book, he says that they should be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Second Peter 3, 9 says he's not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. So the message goes to all nations, but, but it's directed at every single individual who hears the call to repent. The response, Jesus tells us in Luke 15, some of my favorite parables and stories in all of scripture. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So the call is simple and clear, repent. In their context, they were repenting and preparing for the coming of the Lord. Hey, our Lord has already come. He already suffered. He already died on that cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. So he says, repent. Stop thinking you're okay. You're not. Think, stop trusting in your heritage or your religion or what you felt or thought or believed and trust in me and me alone. Change your mind. Change your will. 
change your life, change your direction, and you can and you will be born again. Pastor Sam summarized John's teaching by reminding us to love people, be honest, and walk humbly. Part of the reason we are to do this is so that the world can see Jesus at work within us. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. However, we should also keep two other things in mind. One is that the world has our lives under scrutiny, and the enemy is constantly looking for ways that he can make us into hypocrites, therefore damaging our testimony. But also, these fruits on display in our lives quite simply add a simplicity and blessedness to our lives that is not there without them. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.